Section 6, Volume 2 of the Book of a Thousand Nights and a Night. Translated by Richard Burton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander. The Book of a Thousand Nights and a Night, Volume 2, Section 6. When it was the thirty-ninth night, she said, It hath reached me, O auspicious king, that the merchant left his two children abundant wealth, and amongst other things an hundred loads of silks and brocades, musk-pods and mother-o'-pearl, and there was written on every bale, This is of the packages intended for Baghdad, it having been his purpose to make the journey thither, when Almighty Allah took him to himself which was in the time of the caliph Harun al-Rashid. After a while his son took the loads, and bidding farewell to his mother and kindred and townsfolk, went forth with a company of merchants, putting his trust in Allah Almighty, who decreed him safety, so that he ride without let or stay at Baghdad. There he hired for himself a fair dwelling-house, which he furnished with carpets and cushions, curtains and hangings, and therein stored his bales and stabled his mules and camels, after which he abode a while resting. Presently the merchants and notables of Baghdad came and saluted him, after which he took a bundle containing ten pieces of costly stuffs, with the prices written on them, and carried it to the merchant's bazaar, where they welcomed and saluted him, and showed him all honour and making him dismount from his beast, seated him in the shop of the syndic of the market, to whom he delivered the package. He opened it, and drawing out the pieces of stuff, sold them for him at a profit of two dinners on every dinner of prime cost. At this Ghanim rejoiced, and kept selling his silks and stuffs one after another, and ceased not to do on this wise for a full year. On the first day of the following year he went, as was his wont, to the exchange, which was in the bazaar, but found the gate shut, and inquiring the reason, was told, One of the merchants is dead, and all the others have gone to follow his bier, and why shouldst thou not win the meed of good deeds by walking with them? He replied, Yes, and asked for the quarter where the funeral was taking place and one directed him thereto. So he purified himself by the Wusu ablution, and repaired with the other merchants to the oratory, where they prayed over the dead, then walked before the bier to the burial-place, and Ghanim, who was a bashful man, followed them, being ashamed to leave them. They presently issued from the city, and passed through the tombs until they reached the grave, where they found that the deceased's kith and kin had pitched a tent over the tomb, and had brought thither lamps and wax-candles. So they buried the body, and sat down while the readers read out and recited the Koran over the grave, and Ghanim sat with them, being overcome with bashfulness, and saying to himself, I cannot well go away till they do. They tarried listening to the Koranic perfection till nightfall, when the servants set supper and sweetmeats before them, and they ate till they were satisfied. 
Then they washed their hands and again took their places. But Ganim's mind was preoccupied with his house and goods, being in fear of robbers, and he said to himself, I am a stranger here and supposed to have money. If I pass the night abroad, the thieves will steal my money-bags and my bales to boot. So when he could no longer control his fear, he arose and left the assembly, having first asked leave to go about some urgent business, and following the signs of the road, he soon came to the city gate. But it was midnight, and he found the doors locked and saw none going or coming, nor heard aught but the hounds baying and the wolves howling. At this he exclaimed, There is no majesty, and there is no might save in Allah. I was in fear for my property and came back on this account, but now I find the gate shut and I am in mortal fear for my life. Then he turned back, and looking out for a place where he could sleep till morning, presently found a Santon's tomb, a square of four walls with a date tree in the central court and a granite gateway. The door was wide open, so he entered and would fain have slept, but sleep came not to him, and terror and the sense of desolation oppressed him, for that he was alone amidst the tombs. So he rose to his feet, and, opening the door, looked out, and, lo, he was aware of a light afar off in the direction of the city-gate. Then, walking a little way towards it, he saw that it was on the road whereby he had reached the tomb. This made him fear for his life, so he hastily shut the door and climbed to the top of the dale-tree, where he hid himself in the heart of the fronds. The light came nearer and nearer till it was close to the tomb. Then it stopped, and he saw three slaves, two bearing a chest and one with a lanthorn, an adze, and a basket containing some mortar. When they reached the tomb, one of those who were carrying the case said, What aileth thee, O Sabab? And said the other, What is the matter, O Kafir? Quoth he, were we not here at supper-tide, and did we not leave the door open? Yes, replied the other, that is true. See, said Kafur, now it's shut and barred. How weak are your wits, cried the third who bore the adze, and his name was Bukyat. Know we not that the owners of the gardens used to come out from Baghdad and tend them, and— when evening closes upon them, they enter this place and shut the door, for fear lest the wicked black men, like ourselves, should catch them, and roast them, and eat them. Thou sayest sooth, said the two hours, but by Allah, however that may be, none amongst us is weaker of wits than thou. If ye do not believe me, said Bukyat, let us enter the tomb, and I will roast the rat for you for I doubt not but that when he saw the light and us making for the place, he ran up the date-tree and hid there for fear of us. When Ganim heard this, he said in himself, O oh, courteest of slaves, may Allah not have thee in his holy keeping for this thy craft and keenness of wit. There is no majesty and there is no might save in Allah, the glorious, the great, 
how shall I win free of these blackamoors? Then said the two who bore the box to him of the Adse, Swarm up the wall and open the gate for us, O Bakyat, for we are tired of carrying the chest on our necks, and when thou hast opened the gate thou shalt have one of those we catch inside, a fine fat rat which we will fry for thee after such excellent fashion that not a speck of his fat shall be lost but bakyat answered i am afraid of somewhat which may weak wits have suggested to me we should do better to throw the chest over the gateway for it is our treasure if we throw it it will break replied they and he said i fear lest there be robbers within who murder folk and plunder their goods for evenings in their time of entering such place and dividing their spoil oh thou weak of wits said both the bearers of the box how could they ever get in here then they sat down the chest and climbing over the wall dropped inside and opened the gate whilst the third slave he that was called bakiat stood by them holding the adze the lanthorn and the hand-basket containing the mortar. After this they locked the gate, and sat down, and presently one of them said, O oh, my brethren, we are wearied with walking, and with lifting up, and setting down the chest, and with unlocking and locking the gate, and now it is midnight, and we have no breath left to open a tomb and bury the box. So let us rest here two or three hours, then rise and do the job meanwhile each of us shall tell how he came to be castrated and all that befell him from first to last the better to pass away our time while we take our rest thereupon the first he of the lanthorn and whose name was bakyat said i'll tell you my tale say on replied they so he began as follows the first tale of the first eunuch bakyat know o my brothers that when i was a little one some five years old i was taken home from my native country by a slave-driver who sold me to a certain apparitor my purchaser had a daughter three years old with whom i was brought up and they used to make mock of me letting me play with her and dance for her and sing to her till I reached the age of twelve, and she that of ten. And even then they did not forbid me seeing her. One day I went in to her and found her sitting in an inner room, and she looked as if she had just come out of the bath, which was in the house, for she was scented with essences and reek of aromatic woods, and her face shone like a circle of the moon on the fourteenth night. She began to sport with me, and I with her. Now I had just reached the age of puberty, so my prickle stood at point, as it were a huge key. Then she threw me on my back, and mounting a straddle on my breast, fell a wriggling and bucking upon me till she had uncovered my yard. When she saw it standing with head erect, she hent it in hand and began rubbing it upon the lips of her little slit outside her petticoat trousers. Thereat hot lust stirred in me, and I threw my arms round her, while she wound hers about my neck and hugged me to her with all her might, 
till, before I knew what I did, my pistol split up her trousers and entered her slit and did away her maidenhead. When I saw this I ran off and took refuge with one of my comrades. Presently her mother came in to her, and seeing her in this case fainted clean away. However, she managed the matter advisedly, and hid it from the girl's father out of good will to me. Nor did they cease to call to me and coax me, till they took me from where I was. After two months had passed, her mother married her to a young man, a barber who used to shave her papa, and portioned and fitted her out of her own monies, whilst the father knew nothing of what had passed. On the night of consummation they cut the throat of a pigeon-poult, and sprinkled the blood on her shift. After a while they seized me unawares and gelded me, and when they brought her to her bridegroom they made me her aga, her eunuch, to walk before her wheresoever she went, whether to the bath or to her father's house. I abode with her a long time, enjoying her beauty and loveliness, by way of kissing and clipping and coupling with her, till she died, and her husband and mother and father died also, when they seized me for the royal treasury as being the property of an interstate, and I found my way hither, where I became your comrade. This, then, O oh my brethren, is the cause of my cullions being cut off and peace be with you. He ceased, and his fellow began in these words, the tale of the second eunuch, Kafur. Know, O my brothers, that when, beginning service as a boy of eight, I used to tell the slave-dealers regularly and exactly one lie every year, so that they fell out with one another, till at last my master lost patience with me, and, carrying me down to the market, ordered the brokers to cry, Who will buy this slave, knowing his blemish, and making allowance for it? He did so, and they asked him, Pray, what may be his blemish? And he answered, He telleth me one single lie every year. Now a man that was a merchant came up and said to the broker, How much do they allow for him with his blemish? They allow six hundred dirhams, he replied, and said the other, Thou shalt have twenty dirhams for thyself. So he arranged between him and the slave-dealer who took the coin from him, and the broker carried me to the merchant's house, and departed after receiving his brokerage. The trader clothed me with suitable dress, and I stayed in his service the rest of my twelve month, until the new year began happily. It was a blessed season, plantious in the produce of the earth, and the merchants used to feast every day at the house of some one among them, till it was my master's turn to entertain them in a flower-garden without the city. So he and the other merchants went to the garden, taking with them all that they required of Provence and else beside, and sat eating and carousing and drinking till midday, when my master, having need of some matter from his home, said to me, O slave, mount the she-mule, and hie thee to the house, and bring from thy mistress such and such a thing, and return quickly. 
I obeyed his bidding and started for the house, but as I drew near it I began to cry out and shed tears, whereupon all the people of the quarter collected great and small, and my master's wife and daughters, hearing the noise I was making, opened the door and asked me what was the matter. Said I, my master was sitting with his friends beneath an old wall, and it fell on one and all of them, and when I saw what happened to them I mounted the mule and came hither in haste to tell you. When my master's daughter and wife heard this, they screamed and rent their raiment and beat their faces, whilst the neighbors came around them. Then the wife overturned the furniture of the house, one thing upon another, and tore down the shelves and broke the windows and the lattices and smeared the walls with mud and indigo, saying to me, Woe to thee, O Kafur! Come help me to tear down these cupboards and break up the vessels and this china ware and the rest of it. So I went to her and aided her to smash all the shelves in the house, with whatever stood upon them, after which I went round about the terrace roofs and every part of the place, spoiling all I could and leaving no china in the house unbroken till I had laid waste the whole, crying out the while, Well away, my master! Then my mistress fared forth barefaced, wearing a headkerchief, and not else, and her daughters and the children sallied out with her and said to me, O Kafur, go thou before us and show us the place where thy master lieth dead, that we may take him from under the fallen wall, and lay him on a bier, and bear him to the house, and give him a fine funeral. So I went forth before them, crying out, Slack my master, and they after me with faces and heads bare, and all shrieking, Alas, alas, for the man! Now there remained none in the quarter, neither man nor woman, nor epicene, nor youth, nor maid, nor child, nor old trot, but went with us smiting their faces and weeping bitterly, and I led them leisurely through the whole city. The folk asked them what was the matter, whereupon they told them what they had heard from me, and all exclaimed, There is no majesty, and there is no might save in Allah. Then said one of them, He was a personage of consequence, so let us go to the governor and tell him what hath befallen him. When they told the governor, And Shahrazad perceived the dawn of day, and ceased saying her permitted say. End of section 6 of the Book of a Thousand Nights and a Night, Volume 2 Read by Lars Rolander